Welcome to Rethink Retail, the show where we dive into the stories and strategies behind some of the most successful brands on the planet. From brick and mortar giants to e-commerce disruptors, we uncover the secrets to their success and deliver the keys to true retail transformation. So ask yourself, are you ready to rethink retail? The future of retail starts now. Hello, and welcome to Retailer Tech Tips, a Retail Cloud Alliance exclusive podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Rail, and today I'm speaking with my guests, Hao Gu and Becky Shankar. My background is I've been a trusted advisor with significant digital commerce strategy, performance improvement, consulting, transformation, technology, experience across the retail, wholesale, private equity, and consumer industries. I've had the pleasure and privilege of authoring articles, of contributing to podcasts like this, and I'm a Rethink Retail top expert. I'd like to introduce Venki. Thank you very much, Brandon, for inviting me, and thank you, the Retail Cloud Alliance, for organizing this, and thank you for having the opportunity to interact with Hal. I am very passionate about my work in retailing for the last three decades. I've worked in research, consulting, and executive education capacity with a number of retailers, and I continue to do that today. And I'm really excited about where retailing is heading, particularly in the areas of AI, machine learning, omnichannel retailing, and innovation. Looking forward to this podcast. All right. Welcome to the show. And Hal? Thanks, Brendan. My name is Hal, Regional Managing Director for the EMEA region at Microsoft. I have two decades of experience working in business strategy, enterprise sales, and innovation. And currently, I uh, lead a team of um, seasoned industry advisors uh, across these regions that work with Microsoft top enterprise retail customers, uh, where we have the privilege of working with them um, to really unlock some of the opportunities um, that uh, data, AI, and digitization uh, brings to the industry. Formerly, I was a senior leader at uh, PwC and Deloitte, and having worked across Europe, the Americas, and Asia uh, with customers across a variety of different industries. Um, I'm also a uh, advisor for Microsoft Startups, where I get to see some of the cool and interesting stuff that our startups uh, are doing these days. And and I also are quite passionate about uh, community service and, and travel. So look forward to this uh, great discussion around AI. I know it's a very hot topic these days. Well, welcome to the show, Venki and Hal. In this episode, we'll take a deep dive into how retailers are leveraging AI to really understand their customers and have those insights to make more informed decisions and sort of operationalize them across uh, supply chain management, merchandising, marketing, product development, store operations. Essentially, how can retailers better market to customers? How can they retain their best customers and attract new ones? And also, what kind of information do retailers need to have uh, customers to drive personalization strategies at scale. And finally, we'll get into topics such as cybersecurity to ensure that these relationships and trust is there to, to make sure that the customer's data and personal information is safe, especially as these strategies are now scaled out across the enterprise. Let's jump into it. So do we feel today that retailers have such an abundance of information that there is a paradox of having almost too much? And they don't have the tools and capabilities to actually leverage this data to provide those personalized experiences to actually operationalize this data. And how can we actually enable and support these retailers to have the tools and capabilities to leverage data to use it properly? What are your thoughts, uh, Venki? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's a constant issue that retailers are facing every day as the data size has grown uh, exponentially. In 2010, we had two zettabytes of data 
today we have about 120 zettabytes. So that's 60 times. And just to give you an example of how a big retailer like Walmart has the data velocity, Walmart probably has 35 petabytes of data in one hour alone. And that is a humongous amount of data that's coming, mostly from unstructured data. And a lot of it is video-based data. More than 50% of the data is coming from video. And the challenge for retailers is that because the consumers are interacting with more device sound and omni-channel environment, more and more data are being collected. And consequently, how much of this data can be harnessed, uh, how much of this can be stored properly, how much can be put for decision analysis, and how much of this data is really valuable, right? Uh, by some estimates, uh, people say that only 10% of all these data are valuable, are being put to good use. So I think retailers are getting around to this idea that somehow we need a very strong data, not only management uh, system, but also data analytics system where it is very efficiently captured and, and real-time decisions ranging from facing the customer all the way to the back-end inventory management. So this is going to be, this is a mm -hmm. continuing challenge and task. And retailers, some retailers are doing a good job. Some retailers are overwhelmed. Excellent point, Venki. And again, the, the fact that the only 10% of data is uh, being leveraged and operationalized is, is uh, concerning and also interesting. So I think there is a lot to uncover there, but I'd love to hear uh, House perspective as well. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Brandon. And to, Ven to, to Venki's point, there's just so much data out there. And Venki pointed out that only a fraction of being used. And I and what we're seeing now with a lot of our customers is that there's the question being raised is, do we really need to get all of our data in order? Because typically a lot of times, especially when we do AI projects, right? And, and this has been for the last decade or, or probably even longer is, Let's get our data lake in order. Let's get our data warehousing in order. Let's make sure everything's structured and the way the set up perfectly. What we're seeing now is with advancements of some of the capabilities like like Fabric and and some of the stuff where we, we now have tools that's allowing us to tap into multiple different data stores and leverage it in a more coherent way because of these large language models. And the question is. Does everything, does all your data actually need to be perfect in order for you to be using it? And it was interesting because I was having a conversation with actually a Swedish retailer just a couple of days ago, and their approach to launching their AI assistant for their store associates, essentially, it's a assistant that their store employees can ask questions about policies and procedures, about what to do when a customer wants to return an item and so forth. And their approach is like, look, what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to connect one of these, essentially a chatbot with a large language model behind it. And they're using Microsoft Copilot to do it. And, and what they're doing is we're just connected to different data stores. And we're going to see, and let's see what questions these store associates are asking. Let's see what um, our store managers are asking and let's see what's actually the problem or the opportunities that AI can truly solve for. And let's start flagging the you know questions where we don't have information or data for. Let's flag the, the, the questions where you know the, the response was unhelpful. And then let's use that to then structure and modify and clean up our data. So I think it's we're in an interesting time where we are collecting so much data, but the way that we think about 
Using the data, now we're starting to reverse because of the advance in some of these tools where we can start really focusing on the business problem or the business opportunity and then figure out what is the most optimal set of data and technologies to actually enable or solve for. And to me, I think that's quite interesting and it, it actually helps solve for some of these headaches I think a lot of these retailers have is I just have too much data, right? And so I think as the, the technology becomes more advanced and more evolved, the way that we think about it is less focused on what do we do with all the data and more about what are the questions that we're actually trying to answer. Excellent points. Uh, I think we are, we've seen uh, examples of this in motion. I know we, we already jumped into the artificial intelligence and chain AI. So uh, we've seen so much momentum in, in this space, especially coming out of the NRF this year where Microsoft, as you mentioned, and uh, many other solution providers are now driving, operationalizing these data and insights through the, by, by democratizing the data, by leveraging the data to uh, empower store associates, to accelerate the uh, intelligent checkout experiences, driving personalized customer experiences, uh, providing really up to the second insights on inventory management by optimizing the supply chains and procurement order management systems. And also we're seeing the acceleration of you're really maximizing and perfecting the merchandising and product developing cycles by leveraging the data. So managing by exceptions is definitely a, a key thing here. And rather than being overwhelmed by the data, as you said, how and, and Mickey, where it's the exception management and having the intelligent capabilities to make better decisions. Great points. Any other, any other thoughts before we go to the next question? Yeah, I think uh, I completely agree with how is that since we have gotten so much submerged in the data, initially the excitement was, oh, new data is coming, unstructured data is coming, video is coming, images are coming, and then you have large language models that are telling us interesting stories, patterns, and so on. But you get to a point where what do we do with so much of patterns that we're finding? Let's ask ourselves the key strategy questions, right? The front end and at the supply chain management inventory warehouse real time. And then let's try to use the correct data that would try to help us answer those questions. That turns out to be a more mm -hmm. uh, productive exercise rather than trying to just get drowned in the data. Yeah, and I think I remember back in the days, the cliche was data is a new oil, right? And everybody's like, data oil, and we got, but I actually don't think oil is the right analogy for it because oil is a finite resource and it, it increases the value with scarcity. Whereas data, to your point, we went from like, what, 20 zettabytes to 200 zettabytes, and it's only going to increase more, right? To me, data is like air. And it's more about how do we breathe this air in order for us to do the things that we need to do, uh, because it's all around us. It's as much as we want to capture. And so how do we make the most use out of it? Excellent. Yeah, thank you for all those great insights. So uh, really the next uh, series of uh, questions is around the customers and personalization. Uh, we're seeing a rapidly changing consumer. Their behaviors are changing uh, with the acceleration of, uh, of social media, social commerce, now immersive commerce. There are far more complexities and touch points along the whole customer journey. It's not just limited to the brick and mortar experience or the e-commerce experience or mobile app experience. Now you look at social commerce, you look at engagement within the metaverse and other areas. And there's so many different areas to uh, engage, attract, and retain consumers. In uh, many ways, they seem to really exponentially increase the amount of data that's out there. So AI and Gen AI as an enabler is critical. So how, how, how do you believe that AI can influence the way 
retailers and brands can now analyze customer sentiments along all these various touch points? And where do you see that potential going, especially as it relates to personalization? First of all, I don't think AI should ever influence retail. I think it always needs to be the other way around. I think customers need to influence retailers and retailers need to influence AI. When AI starts influencing the business and the customers, I think we're in a bit of trouble. But, but ultimately, I think AI is a tool. It is an enabler for us to do things more efficiently, more creatively, more productively, more securely. And But also there's a lot of potential risk and harms that comes with AI as well. And, and certainly the promise of AI or and with the massive amounts of data and compute that we're able to harness today, we're able to crunch through massive amounts of data and then be able to drive whether it's personalization, whether it's new content creation, whatever it might be. And so I think there's definitely a lot of promise with that. I think that when we have data brokers that can allow us to enrich data, whether it's Habu or Yobi or any of these kind of third parties, we, we start building more accurate pictures of kind of the, the user, um, which again, double-edged sword in terms of how, how much should we know about someone before it's too creepy? Because I think that creepiness meter is always top of mind for both consumers as well as businesses. And how do we not go beyond that? And But I, I do think that AI allows us to, to build that more contextual picture of a user to be able to personalize in, in, in a much more contextual way. And an example of that is and, and through technologies like data clean rooms, for example, a loyalty program that we were working on allowed us to, for one airline, to know that, hey, this customer is going to Hawaii, right, in two weeks. Let's send a signal to a retailer to say, hey, this individual now has a much higher propensity to buy sunscreen in the next two weeks. And so we're able to now create an offer dedicated to that individual person rather than an entire segment of 19-year-olds or Gen Zs or whatever segments that might exist in CRMs today. But this type of personalization and contextualization because of multi-party data sharing or data enrichment to allow us to really think about the way that we're influencing purchasing decisions is extremely powerful. And we're seeing a lot of organizations starting to figure out how to harness that. And and yeah, and I do think customers are getting value out of it. But I think we also always need to be mindful of kind of that creepiness meter and how do we not cross that red line. I'll turn around to Venki in a second, but you agree with a great point. AI, AI, Gen AI capabilities are enablers, our tools, our intelligent capabilities to power bed decision-making and provide those personalized tools that provide better experiences. So I think it's that's critical here. It's, it's to make smarter decisions and to make things more efficient, more effective, real-time in nature, and, and personalization at scale, which is before the modern area was almost an impossible feat to do. So I think it's a balancing act. And once if we are too far in one direction where it's predominantly AI-led decision or it's a personalization that's gone too far, then we've gone beyond the line. But you great points, Hal, and I'd love to hear, Veggie, your take on things too. I tend to agree with both of you. Uh, I'd like to add that AI can be, in addition to being an enabler, can be a disruptor too. And you can also think of AI in terms of a tool for the consumer too. For example, we all started with the the voice assistants and uh, Amazon Echo and so on being starting point, but it didn't deliver, didn't improve on promise. But now AI can help consumers be more selective. They can form their preferences better. They can assist them in terms of recommending them to themselves what would be the best thing. So it could go both ways. 
And in the process, it could disrupt the customer journey to, to a large extent. For example, if customers start using AI more often, they can simplify their uh, purchasing patterns so much so that uh, they could actually interface with uh, some of the uh, personalization systems that is retailers are using to really get a more value out of it. So ultimately, goes back to customer centricity, customer value to the customer, and the retailers have to be very careful. How mentioned about the creepiness index, it's it's actually a balancing act, and so you have to make it value adding to the consumer, the personalization, and mm-hmm. uh, not be encroaching on their privacy to a certain extent, uh, to so much that the customers can turn off. Today, it's very fragile uh, because everybody's overwhelmed with recommendations. You have to be very careful as a retailer to use the data very effectively, whether it's advertising, whether it's recommending products, mm-hmm. whether it is suggesting new ways of doing things, different kinds of omni-channel shopping. And one example I want to give you from my research is that how do retailers, for example, how can they take this data that they already have, the customers, their loyalty program, or tracking all their online and mobile app, uh, and how do they, or just the customer reviews that they give for the products, and how do we use that effectively come up with better recommendations? So one mm-hmm. of the projects that I, I we came up with was take the Amazon reviews data uh, for any particular product category, and also uh, take the ratings data, and then work backwards and understand uh, using uh, machine learning tools and advanced AI capabilities and automatically identify what are the drivers of their choices and make some improvements in products. And uh, if you could do it even in real time for some of the products, that would be value adding to the, the customer. So bottom mm-hmm. line is you can use AI as enabler or disruptor, but it should be value adding to the customer for the recommendation systems to be very effective. Excellent. Outstanding points. Thank you, Hao. Shifting the narrative a bit, I think we've, it was brought up by Hao earlier that the voice of the customer matters, that the market will dictate what retailers and brands need to do and what strategies need to employ. So by, so to speak, democratizing AI capabilities into the hands of the customers by now providing Amazon's AI assistant, now Rufus, so it's integrated within their apps, by, by providing Microsoft Copilot across every single enterprise and enhance the consumers and associates both ends of the spectrum with the customer experience and the employee experience are now empowered by these capabilities and, and intelligent tools to make better decisions and be more informed. So AI as an enabler is a, a critical point here. So there is that threat or the concern about AI doing things independently in the future. I think we've dispelled that. I think AI is integrated, is embedded, but it's not going to take over the world anytime soon. How do you see the roles and responsibilities of the both the store associates and the corporate office evolving by leveraging AI capabilities across the entire spectrum, including supply chain, merchandising, marketing, operations, et cetera? I, I think, first of all, I want to think of in, this in terms of a two-by-two two, uh, matrix, right? The two-by-two two is one is uh, caught on one axis, is it cost-reducing and revenue-enhancing? So these are two two different sets of initiatives. And the other side is short-term, long-term, low-hanging fruits versus uh, long. And in the short-term and cost minimization, 
uh, generative AI has already sprung into action, and it's almost a race. Everybody's using Gen NAI to simplify a lot of uh, tasks. For example, Sh Shopify Magic, which is launched last year, uh, it enables retailers to complete product description. So you just say you have a table lamp, and then it just populates a description of that. So that saves time and effort. And not only that, in-store, if you want to design a physical store, it used to take months for retailers to simply come up with a store design. Now you're using generative mm -hmm. AI with, with computer vision, they can generate multiple designs in a matter of minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So these are the low-hanging fruits with cost reduction. Uh, but if you want to use uh, generative AI for revenue enhancement, then we talked about the personalization, we talked about cross-selling, cross-bundling opportunities. Those are all uh, very good examples of that. Uh, on the other hand, these are all very short-term, but in the long-term, Everybody would be doing all the competitors, all the retailing competitors, the manufacturers, service providers. Everybody would probably start using that. In that case, what is your long-term competitive advantage? What do we do? Then firms will have to start thinking in terms of using AI for forecasting the future, for figuring out what business models would survive for five years, what would be the next ones that they should be operating on, what would be the new customer landscape right. ecosystem that they would be operating on. And that would be from the demand generation. From the cost uh, minimization, they have to start asking themselves, why do I need all these employees for different types of tasks? Can, can we rationalize? Uh, and at the same time, we might need a lot of employees to make some very important artistic judgment calls and the right employees. So all these would be long-term. If you mm -hmm. view it in the perspective of this matrix, it gives us much better insights on where AI can be headed. Yeah, before we jump to how, I, I completely agree. There is definitely a two-by-two two matrix uh, methodology at play here. It's the general AI capabilities provide both cost savings and efficiencies and just reducing all the operational overhead, become more efficient. But there's also the, where are we unlocking value for both the uh, store associates or the customers and where can we generate new revenue streams or optimize margins so uh, there's that balance delicate balancing act as uh, general AI has become more intricately a part of all these solutions sets we've seen today and are embedded within the, the ways of thinking how you other hear your thoughts as well yeah, as Venki and yourself, we're, we're talking about kind of the long term or short term. But one of the, one of the conversations that kind of brought to mind was with a with a British retailer the other day, where they were saying how look, we need to plan, right? We need to have a strategy. We need to have a roadmap. We need to figure out what we're going to do today and we're going to do tomorrow. Help us understand what are the, all the different use cases I'm going to think about because this gen AI is going to disrupt everything. I'm like. Yes, I get it. You're a business. You have to plan. You have to set expectations. You have to deal with change management, uh, budgeting, and so forth. I think the challenge that a lot of our, our customers are facing today is that technology is evolving so quickly that it's not just generative AI. Generative AI is the hot buzzword today. But if you think about the intersection of and, and interplay of other technologies, whether it's robotics, right? Whether it's spatial computing, because Apple just launched their, the new, shoot, the... Vision Pro, Vision Pro. Vision Pro, yes. When you think about the future of quantum computing, all of this impacts the speed of AI, the quality of AI, right? Because AI is more of a general purpose type of technology that can span across multiple things. And yes, we need to think about it from a productivity and efficiency perspective. We need to think about it from a creativity perspective. But it is really hard to understand the, the constantly shifting 
landscape of technology and, and how do you actually plan for that? And, and six months ago, when we did our survey around what are the use cases that our customer are working on, predominantly, I think it was 67% was marketing use cases because the creativity aspect and the power of creativity from generative AI was, was, was just so front and center, as mm-hmm. Becky mentioned. And, but now you're seeing much more diversification use cases because people are thinking about supply chain. People are thinking about store operations and enabling frontline workers. They're thinking about marketing. And, and we, as Microsoft, do a lot of work. I'm going to give a quick shout out to Adobe. We're part of the Retail Cloud Alliance. And we're constantly mm-hmm. thinking about how we help our, our customers. And marketing, of course, is one of those kind of really top of mind use cases or set of scenarios where Genervive plays a role. But I think it's we really need to think about what are the problems that we want to solve? Is it mm-hmm. about profitability? Is it about employee retention? Is it about sustainability? Is it about social equity? And I think depending on what we're trying to solve, you're going to see this roadmap play out in slightly different ways. You're going to see different technologies becoming more important or less important and and shifting your roadmap and and your strategy differently. And for me, of course, generative AI is going to impact across the board. And of course, you're going to have a strategy and roadmap. But I think it comes down to what I was saying earlier is what are we actually trying to solve for? What is humanity want to solve for? What does the company want to solve for? What does a individual user actually need and, and want, right? Um, and, and I think those are things that we need to prompt and probe and, and really think about. Very comprehensive. And thank you for all that uh, great feedback. Thank you. So taking a little uh, shift here, we, we talked a bit about uh, personalization. Now, now, personalization at scale is really that holy grail for retailers and brands to know the customer, to provide the, the value they're looking for, to engage with them on their terms, to be there 24-7 across all channels, uh, social, of course, digital, of course, physical stores. There's so many more data points. There's so many ways where the data is, can be exposed and there can be privacy concerns. So I believe cybersecurity is a major imperative to ensure that customer data is safe and we have customers are rich experience. Also from the corporate side, that their enterprise data and their operations are secure to avoid any major hacks and, and so forth. So how critical in your mind is building cybersecurity capabilities, but also the resilience to handle a potential attacks to, to keep the business going and keep customer data safe? How are your thoughts? Yeah, it, it is the most important thing. When in the era of data, big data, generative AI, trust is probably the most important commodity that's at play. And the social contract that any enterprise or government agency has with the end consumer, once that's broken, it's so hard to get back. And we all know that cyber criminals, even nation states and other actors, their their malicious activities are happening literally on a day-to-day basis. So absolutely cybersecurity and making sure that the right controls, the right governance, but also the right education, because it's not just about having the best-in-class anti-phishing tools or the best-in-class secure devices, but is it are, are your employees aware of all the different attempts where they're the actual vulnerability? And so making sure that that education, that awareness is forefront. But I also think beyond cybersecurity, especially in the age of AI, regulations need to be in place, right? Regulations that is not just for a single nation state or a single region, but is mm-hmm. something that is respected and something that is followed and adhered to across jurisdictions and across geographies. Um, I think law enforcement needs more tools and they need more education and awareness to be able to prevent fraud and scam and malicious activities. The enforcement of that, it it needs to also complement the cybersecurity. It's not just any individual companies or agency or institution. 
it is the I think all aspects of society needs to be aware and it needs to be very much vigilant against kind of the the threats and and the harm that could be caused through it. Excellent. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much, Howie. Uh, Vanky, your perspectives? Yeah, I completely agree with uh, Howe's points in here, but I might want to add here the interlinking of customer privacy, consumer privacy, security, and trust. They are all very closely related. And in fact, to give you, put it in perspective, if you do a Google trend analysis the last five years or so, the term privacy uh, has really grown by over 600% in the last five years. Similarly, uh, the concept of, if you look at uh, uh, the concept of zero trust, which is uh, now being embraced by all the tech companies, and the concept is that you can never trust any of the systems and let's try to foolproof it as much as possible. Let's put safeguards and rails uh, in place for that. And that is also grown by 640% in terms of search uh, from that perspective. And so what it tells us is that this is going to be a continuing issue and problem. And retailers especially have to be so cognizant of this because they have to be investing in, in protection. They're Data privacy is so critical to to retain their customers, and their systems uh, have to be constantly on the watch for all possible hacks. And as Howe says, we need a global framework. We still are not able to come up with something that is acceptable to everybody. And earlier we talked about quantum computing uh, as the next next wave of technology. And if quantum computing comes, this is going to be very exacerbated. Quantum computing as can break all the encryption methods that we currently have. So we need to have more uh, creative and very mm-hmm. uh, customer-centric solutions going forward. Absolutely. Great point, Sal. I have some of my perspectives as well. I think how you, you brought this up earlier, just that the trust and transparency between the the relationship between the customer and the retailer uh, is critical, and it's a delicate one. You think about that it costs five times more to attract a new customer than it does to retain an existing one. And by, if you think about it, increasing customer retention rates by 5% and increase your profits pretty significantly between 25 and 35%, according to Bain & Company. Again, they, having those uh, protocols in place and, the, and the, also the protection in place is critical. But I, I do agree there are there is a immaturity in the space. I think we the the uh, technology and the capabilities are advancing much further along than, than there are protections in place from the government. So we're, I think there's more advancements in the, within EMEA, uh, where, where how is. Uh, but the U.S. certainly has a lot of catch-up to do in terms of uh, standardizing cybersecurity capabilities and as well as putting proper governance in place. Uh, right now, there's a lot of dependencies on the private companies and, and to handle this relationship uh, delicately and protect consumer data. But we are we certainly getting to a point where we need some more standardization in place. You know what they say, Brandon, the U.S. innovates and the EU regulates. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's true. holding the podcast. I can talk about this thing. <laughs> All right. Well, to wrap this up with one final question, uh, it's been an excellent conversation so far. How about the consumer? What, what is their perspective on this? If you go across all the generations and you know, obviously an adoption curve uh, related to take on new experiences and trusting companies with their information and their, and their personal data. Do they have a point of view or perspective on AI or cloud technologies or 
Or are they happy just to engage and interact with the retailers and brands that know them well, provide that personalized experiences? And then cloud and AI is simply an enabler and a tool that works in the background, as long as the trust and transparency is there. What do you think, Venki? I think there is there is a lot of nuance in here. So if you want to look at consumers by segment, age related, because age is very highly correlated with technology adoption and openness to technology, and that's why I'm choosing that. So if you look at Gen Zs, millennials, and pretty soon we should start looking at Gen Alpha too, they are more open to trying technology, using technology, and they also understand there's comes with risk. There's also a, a divide between as Hao said, between Europe and uh, U.S. on this, Europe are very protective about data. They're sensitive about their own data. You, in the U.S., if you give me a deal, I'm happy to share my entire uh, life story. <laughs> I'm just exaggerating, but people are willing to uh, make some trade-offs in terms of privacy. So if you look at the generational differences in terms of AI-curious generations, they are willing to tolerate giving up some privacy. But as you go up in higher generation, Gen X and uh, baby boomers, they're very naturally um, very wary of that. So there is going to be some these mixed bag and uh, retailers and marketers have to be uh, very cautious about how they approach this barrage of technologies that we are seeing with practically limited oversight and uh, as uh, putting guardrails and AI is uh, is just this conversation is just starting all over the world and we are still there there's going to be a lot of mistakes a lot of errors and we are going to learn by that but I think the consumers overall would like to see technology safe but they are depending on which segment of the consumer you're talking to, they have mixed views about their perceptions and views of technology. I agree. I think I think with technology evolving so quickly, you're also seeing these generational differences in kind of acceptance, toleration, and adoption of these technologies shift more quickly as well. I think that the generational gap tends to be shorter and shorter these time. And we're talking about, I think, Venki was talking about Gen Z, Gen Alpha. In fact, we're probably going to soon talk about Gen Beta too, if, if that's the name they're given. But but I do think that the social contract and the understanding of this technology is going to shift over time as people's views around privacy shifts over time. But I do think if I take it back down into an individual company, right, and the trust around their brand and the trust that consumers have on that brand, it can't be as, as fragile as a single technology. If introducing an AI is going to break trust, right, with a consumer, then I think there's probably a fundamental more issue with your brand and the trust that you have with your consumers to begin with. And I'm very fortunate to work with a company where that trust uh, and that social contract around us investing in privacy, investing and adhering to these regulations and making sure we are transparent, fair, accountable uh, to the technologies that we make is, is something that I'm very grateful for. But I do think that there's a lot of different forces at play, right? At one end, you have Hollywood and the sensationalization of dystopic kind of futures and Terminator and, and all that, Skynet and so forth, right? And then on the other hand is... You know, people, when ChatGPT came out, I think everybody knows this now, it was the fastest technology to reach 100 million within weeks. And so people are embracing it and people want to try it out. And people are writing much more eloquent Christmas letters these days and, and emails these days because of it. 
And so I think there there is and that. I've seen a lot of creative essays for my, many of right? my students. Right, I'm sure. In, in, especially <laughs> in, in, in academia, I'm sure that students are absolutely embracing it. Sure. And so I think that part of it is a reflection of maybe generational kind of expectations. But I do think that the, this factor of trust requires us to think beyond individual companies. And it has to be at a societal or even humanity level to think about how do we adhere that trust. And that requires the, the regulation. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm actually encouraged with, for example, the AI Act in EU that just came into play fairly recently and all the different stakeholders that came in. But it is something that we need to continue to nurture. Um, Trust breaks very easily. And especially as technology companies, it's something that we we have to be, make sure it's at the forefront of how we develop this technology. And this is why I think thinking about AI, not as an autopilot, but as a co-pilot is extremely important because this analogy truly does resonate and, and ripple across in how people think about technology. It's and and especially when AI, when you think about its ability to eventually make judgments and make decisions on things like your credit score, on things like accessibility to services and experiences and goods, these are all things where we have to be very careful in terms of how much power we're, we're actually giving AI and how much we're leveraging it um, in order to make these judgment calls because it's learning from the internet. It's learning off of all the tokens of the billions and trillions of tokens of the internet, which means it's learning off of our biases, uh, our stereotypes, um, the way that humanity today thinks about how society should function and work and, and how we should communicate. And so mm-hmm. again, we need to be thinking about how do we make this evolutionary and, and more progressive and actually for the betterment rather than a reflection of perhaps some of the ugliness that is in the past. Again, it's tools or weapons. That's the way I think about AI. There's a great book by Brad Smith called Tools and Weapons. And, and I think it's it's up to us as a as society to make sure to determine how we use it. Great point. And just my perspective before we wrap things up is we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that it all comes down to execution. If you look at the fundamentals of retail, it's about having the right product, the right place, the right time, and the right pri- and the right price for the consumer. They're looking for great experiences, looking for good engagement, and that trusted relationship between the retailer and the consumer is a, it's a delicate one. We brought this up earlier, AI and all these innovations are enablers to provide solutions, to improve the experiences, to drive efficiencies, drive cost savings, but also create new uh, ways, innovative ways of uh, increasing revenues and profitabilities. But again, we, all, we we talked about this throughout the conversation, is having those safeguards and privacy and those uh, protections in place via cybersecurity, resilience, and capabilities to ensure this, as we advance along here, everyone's safe and their data is protected. Okay, if no further points, we'll wrap things up. I want to say uh, thank you to, to our guest, uh, Venki Shankar and Hao Gu, and a special thank you to the uh, Retail Cloud Lines for the opportunity. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks so much, Brandon. Thanks Thank so much, you, Brandon. Thank you for listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. That's rethink.industries slash podcast guest. Follow us on Twitter at Rethink underscore retail and show some love by subscribing on iTunes podcast app. Until next time.